Welcome to your Relationship Lovecast by True Potential, the weekly web show and podcast that explores relationships and wellness, featuring in-depth interviews with acclaimed authors, wellness experts, health influencers, and spiritual leaders so that you can create a relationship and life you love. And now your host, Andrea Carella. Welcome back to your Relationship Lovecast. Today on episode 15, we are going to be talking about passion, enhancing the energies in all your relationships. Now, passion is a key component at the beginning of a relationship, but it is also an important component to maintain throughout the life of the relationship. Sometimes clients and even some of my friends who have been married for a while mention that although they love their partner very much, They feel tired, frustrated, lonely, and disconnected from them every now and then. So how do you shift your energy, mood, and mindset in order to create a positive vibration in your heart, mind, body, and soul? And how do you enhance the energy in all your relationships, whether you are at work or at play? Today on our show, I have invited David Price Francis to discuss this topic. Over the past 35 years, he has dedicated his life to teaching and providing consultation as a transformational coach in the dynamics of personal development and interpersonal relationships. He has lectured internationally, making more than 3,000 presentations to audiences who have been entertained, enlightened, and inspired as he shares his knowledge and insights on a vast array of subjects such as interpersonal relationships, natural energy, the human energy field and healing, and the law of attraction. David is also the author of Partners in Passion, Exploring the New Energy Paradigm of Man-Woman Relationships, and has appeared extensively in interviews on TV and radio. Thank you, David, so much for being on today's show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Andrea. Good to join you. Great. So first off, I wanted to ask, what motivated you to write your book, Partners in Passion? Well, the key to that, Andrea, is that there's lots of books on relationships. But what makes this book unique is that I address the energetic component in relationships as the key component. It's so important, but it's largely not addressed within the existing uh, range of relationship books that are out there. I really think that is such an important dynamic for the success of any relationship. Um, Each of us lives within our own independent energy field, our own aura, our own unique bubble of energy, and we aggregate different kinds of energetics through the trace of our lives. And to a large extent, the success of a relationship is determined by how two people's energy field and the energy energetic component of their lives actually match and jive together and how that can build over the trace of time. Mm, Beautiful. I've been working in the relationship field for quite some time, and I think the energetic dynamic between a couple is very important, not only for the couple, but also for the children, if they choose to have children in the home, and how that impacts their lives as well. Why is the energetic component of relationships so important? Well, Each of us has an energy field, as I I said there, and then these energy fields actually, they interact with each other and they create a third field. I call it a third field or a mutual relationship field. And inside of that third field, the energies of the two partners, say if if it's a man and a woman, the energy of the two partners uh, joins together and actually creates something which is bigger than both of them. So I like to say that love is the third power. Love is the third field. 
because the man has his own energy field, the woman has hers, but when they combine them together, they actually create something which is quite unique, which is the dynamic of the energetic ecology between them. So to me, the difference between a house and a home, when you have two people living together, the house is the four walls, the, the floor, the ceiling, what's the objects, but the, what makes it a home are the energies that are produced within it. Two people actually um, imbue the place where they live, the ecology within which they live, with the energies of how they go on in that ecology. And over time, that ecology can become uh, refined energetically, it can become brighter, it can become more warm, more loving, more caring. Uh, and it can also go the other way if there's seeds of toxicity. It's not by chance the energy field is called a field. Um, and what happens, of course, we know with the farmer is the farmer plants seeds in the field. And then over time, they, they grow and they yield back a crop 10 times, 50 times, 100 times what the farmer actually put in there. So what we plant in our mutual relationship fields is very determining as to what will grow there and what we will find there in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. This is when we get to the secret of long-lasting relationships. It's very much about what the two people have planted, nurtured, and grown in the field that they share between them. That really is a key dynamic. And in the work that I do with couples and the counseling work that I do, it's something which I really try and explore and open up, is that what is each person deliberately planting in that field? If someone says they want more warmth in their field or they want to have more care, well, the person who feels the lack of it really needs to be the person who starts to produce that essence in themselves and put more of it in the relationship. Hopefully, in a, in a, in a working relationship, the partner will then reciprocate. So it grows. So we can, there's a science to working relationships. There's an energetic science. It doesn't work randomly. It's not by chance. And even when two people are attracted to each other, that initial attraction is in large part determined not only by their physical appearance, the physical looks, it's also determined by the trace of energetics that a person's built in their, in their blood, in their mind, in their aura, in their energy field, through the trace of their lives. Two people can be instantly attracted because their energy fields are so similar that there's an immediate recognition and I call it the tuning fork principle. They, they see each other and both of them, both of their fields kind of get excited at the same time. And then that often appears through the eyes because the eyes are primary energy transmitter. And it's why in so many relationships, it begins with a look in the eye. It begins with that spark. And you can walk in a room with a hundred other people and somehow your eyes move to one other person in particular there's that spark that travels. It's, it's not physical. It's not gas. It's not liquid. It's energy. There's that energetic spark, that passion, which travels across the space between and lights both of them up. And I called the book Partners in Passion because when you take that word passion, you break it in two. It's, the pass, it's to pass ions. And when you look up the word ion in Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, it says a positively or negatively charged particle. Any, words that end, any word that ends in I-O-N is to do with a word that's about the transference of energetics. So passion is when two people pass a lot of ions, a lot of energy backwards and forwards between them, and the quantity and the quality and the power of that transference over time creates the energetic ecology that they live in. And also, of course, as you mentioned there, Andrea, the quality of energetic ecology that the children grow up in. 
which is such a crucial dynamic in successfully nurturing and raising children. Absolutely. Very eloquently put, and being able to identify the ions and the passing of ions, I've never heard somebody describe it in that way, and I think it's very appropriate and really clearly communicates what what does happen between two people and how that passion is not only just uh, sexual passion, but passion emotionally in the inner reaction, inner relation between the two people and how they care for each other and nurture each other and what they invest into the relationship and, and one another. Mm, absolutely. So beautiful. How does the law of attraction work in relationships? I'm familiar with the book Law of Attraction, but I'd like to hear your your point of view. Okay. Well, we'll take that word ion again because there it is. Um, it's the attract ion. It's the energetics that are present. But if we use the analogy of color, and because it's one way to to actually work with energy fields. So with training, I actually teach people how to see the colors in energy fields. I've been doing it for 30 years or so. And so if you take that example where there's 100 people in a room, let's say they're all on a particular frequency, which we'll describe by the color red. So everybody's on a, on a red frequency. Let's say it's, um, it's a football match. That's quite a red thing going on. And over in the corner, there's somebody who's on a yellow frequency, which is more the color of emotion. So they're more in an emotional state. The others are more in a different state, which is to do with um, the red nature of things. We won't get too much into that because it will take us away from where we're going. But say some the new person walks in that same room and they also are in a yellow in their aura, in their energy field. They're also in a yellow color. They're also a bit more emotional. Well, they look around the room and the person whose eyes they're going to lock with, that they'll have the greatest transference with, is the other person who has that yellow field because they're on the same frequency. They're literally aphrodisiac to each other. Dystinic attraction, or what used to be called fatal attraction before the movie came out, but dystinic attraction is where two people's energy fields, mind, soul, um, the five centers of the soul, because you mentioned emotion, sexual. There are five particular centers of soul energy. They know about this in Chinese medicine, in a number of different trainings, thinking, instinctive, moving, emotional, sexual. These are five different manifestations of the energy of our soul. And when two people who have received through the trace of their life a similar energetic imprinting, you could say, a gathering of impressions which is similar, they are aphrodisiac. They kind of recognize each other. And you get expressions like, oh, I could, I could hear bells. They, they, two people can get a little weak at the knees. And, and it's, there's something which is... In uh, Sicily, they called it the thunderbolt, um, which is where there's a, there can be a flow of energy that's so powerful between two people that it's like the rest of the room just disappears. All the rest of the people just fade away because they just see that other person. And mostly that energy is transmitted most powerfully through the eyes. And there's particular reasons for that even, why, why the eyes are the windows of the soul. Because when we look at a person, the eyes are the living cells. The skin cells, when we look at the the skin is very attractive, but every 28 days, the skin cells are departing. And, and so we're actually seeing what's being gradually, what's gradually being sloughed away. That's why skin creams are such a good, uh, such a good market, because mm -hmm. skin cells only last 28 days. Mm -hmm. But the cells in the eyes last, last a lifetime. They're directly attached to the brain, and they conduct a much higher energetic charge. So two people can experience that, that dystinic attraction. And they can meet each other at the airport. They can be casually exchanging glances in a restaurant. I'm sure everybody 
listening has had experiences where they walk down the street and somehow someone's walking the other way and they catch their eye and there's something that kind of a, a frisson that goes backwards and forwards between them. They walk past and then gradually find themselves turning around and looking back only to catch the other person doing the same thing at the same moment. That's energetic attraction. And so there's attraction automatic. I write about this in the book Partners in Passion. There's attraction automatic. And that would usually last about seven years. That's the seven-year itch. Um, because within the space of seven years, we actually have our entire planetary system, our organs, our bones, our blood changes. The woman looks at the man and says, well, you're not the man I married. And it's actually true at cellular level. Um, apart from the cells in the brain, the spinal column, we have different, different lengths of time. I call it the three tests of time within us. And when we're together with a strong physical attraction, then we might get a seven-year run of passion from that. But if we don't develop mutual interests and mutual common ground, things which are more our shared purpose, the relationship will tend to come apart. And that's why passion, passion automatic only takes us just so far. That's why you get teenagers singing songs of I love you forever. You know, my, my love will last longer than the stars. And then seven years later, they're breaking up because they were singing from that, that um, passion that they're feeling in the short term. But unless a person is working for the long term at a relationship, it'll tend to come apart. I, I wish the fairy stories, you know, instead of saying, and then they lived happily ever after, they really should close off saying, and then the work program started. <laughs> right. Be because that's more the reality. If, 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 if people aren't working at their relationship, then gradually the passion dies away and they tend to divorce, which to me is short for the division of forces. Just like there's a law of attraction, uh, there's also a law of distraction. Um, and two people tending to separate out and, and the attraction is only guaranteed by continuing work. Right. Absolutely. I know for me, I remember the first day that I that I saw my husband and that he saw me and he, he later told me that he heard bells and yeah. and he was from Italy and I was from the U.S. and we were at a conference. It was a clinical hypnosis training for about a, a one month intensive and we became friends and spoke via chat and on on Skype and then did it every day, like talked to each other every day, basically went from once a week to two times a week, then to every day. And then we started visiting each other and fell in love. And then I moved to Italy and he's moved here. So we've been together for about almost seven years. Mm -hmm. And that law of attraction, when you invest in the relationship and are willing to go the extra mile, literally <laughs> or figuratively, literally, yes. it, it really builds a strong foundation beyond just the passion that draws you together, but then that that bond and that familiarity and those common interests and that investment of time and energy and into the relationship. I think that also something else that crossed my mind as you were talking is how the law of attraction can play out in friendships too. How when we meet somebody uh, as a friend uh, or somebody that we seem drawn to, that we they're very likable, how that plays out in friendships as well. Would you agree? I totally would. Yep. And when the when the common interests are no longer there, it tends to be when the friendship is no longer um, held so dearly. Mm. So as long as it's like college friends, very often they're very intense. Those friendships can be very intense in college. How they sustain through the rest of life 
depends upon how much shared experience continues very often. So right. people lose contact with each other because their lives move in different directions. Again, unless they put in work and deliberately maintain that contact over time. Oh, and I should mention as well, because often I get this question, well, if, it's, if, um, if like energies attract like en energies, what about the whole idea that opposites attract? Mm. So maybe I should say a, a sure, little Sure, please elaborate. Yeah, which is there's what we suppress also produces a very strong signal in our energy field. So if somebody is, um, is producing that idea of a certain level or nature of field and you get the idea of, it's a classic idea, but the, the girl who's brought up in a refined environment and she's held under a lot of control and this is how this family goes on. And in doing that, she represses other desires, things which she meets at, at school in growing up and what she hears from peers and she suppresses certain things. What that can do is produce kind of a ball of suppressed energy in the energy field. And that is very attractive to another person who's on that frequency. That's why you get the relationship where someone's kind of interested in the bad boy relationship. Now, it's fascinating there how that relationship doesn't tend to last. It mm. tends to be that she uses up the experience and then goes, wow, what did I see in him? What was, what was that about? Because it's actually opposites attract because it's what a person has suppressed in themselves that's then becoming a more powerful feature, even it can be, at certain moments than what the majority of them is like. And that's why people suddenly do things that surprise us. They seem, it seems like their life is moving along in a certain direction and all of a sudden they veer sharply to the left. And you think, what, what happened there? What, what influence was that? It's another energetic law. It's not random. It's not by accident. The person's been suppressing something over a period of time and that signal is gradually mounted and built to the point where it demands action. And so she may bump into someone at a party, on the street, whatever. And it works with the man too. I'm just, you know, we have a certain amount of time, but it works that way in friendships. It works across the board. There are actual energetic laws that apply to relationships by which they actually function. So opposites attract is also true. But it's not the main theme. The main theme would be that like attracts like. Uh, and then a, a minor theme would be the idea that opposites can attract. Now, for the scenario that you mentioned, uh, a woman that likes a bad boy, does that mean that she's suppressing a part of herself that is bad? Suppressing a part of herself that she's not quite um, embracing mm. would be a better way of saying it. Like if someone's brought up in a, in a, in a society where they're expected to go on a certain way, and meet certain expectations, meet certain conformity. Part of them wants to behave in a different way than that um, and play out other desires. Then that's what can build to that frequency. Right. So that, that would be the attraction right there. Right. Perhaps trying to be a good girl and follow the rules where perhaps maybe there are certain choices that she wants to make for herself that go against the grain mm. that 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 attraction to the bad boy, quote-unquote, plays out. Exactly. Okay. And, that's, and that would be not living one's life according to one's own authentic wishes. That right. suppression scenario doesn't tend to build where a person is doing what they want to do because they've chosen to do it. It usually builds as a frustration because they're put in a circumstance where they feel they can't find their own way. And I, I, that may be a good point to mention in my own work doing relationship counseling, um, and someone asked me about how they can improve 
their own um, sort of dating. I call it energy dating. It, to me, it always comes back to the first thing, which is being authentic to oneself. The more authentic a person is to themselves, the more honest the energetic transmission that they're making, the more likely they are to find somebody who's genuinely on that frequency. It just doesn't work to be trying to pretend to be something one isn't um, because one thinks that a, a possible partner will like that better it, it just doesn't work. It's based on super superficial interactions with one another. Exactly. And superficial interactions with oneself, which is... Absolutely. Which is, which more, is more even more important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right. How do two people create a mutual energy field, if, if you'd like to elaborate, if you haven't covered that already? Yeah. Every time they meet, every time two people meet, they create a field between them. So you, you walk past a stranger on the street and there's a millisecond where you look in their eye and they look in yours. There's a little something that transfers. Uh, it's so small that we can't even, we don't really call it a mutual energy field because by, by a week later it's, it's gone, by the next day. Because when we sleep at night, part of what happens is that energetics which are not natural to our core authenticity tend to get cleared away. We don't remember the person that we passed on the street yesterday. If we were to pause, speak with them, they speak with us, we go for a cup of coffee, we enjoy the experience, we decide to meet them again a week later, share another cup of coffee, then a day later, um, exactly the process you were saying with your husband, um, it gradually creates an intensity of energetic process both ways. Just as the man falls in love with the woman and the woman falls in love with the man, there gradually comes to be something which is even more potent. They both fall in love with what happens between them. That's why I think of love as the third power. There's this, we, we only experience the other person through our own, the eyes, our own eyes, our own energetic field. Uh, and that, in, in a way, we never get inside their skin. We never can. I mean, I've been married 37 years, and I can't say that I know exactly how my wife, Joanna, is going to think about something, feel about something. She surprises me all the time because she lives in her own energetic field and, uh, and bubble. And I appreciate her through, through my field, through my energetic life. And between us, we create the ways that we go on. So I come to expect certain kinds of behavior because of how she's expressed herself through the years with that element of surprise about other dynamics. And she looks to me the same way. So when two, two people come into regularity of contact with each other there's that regularity of energetic exchange they create this third mutually supportive potentially energy field and what this means is that it's why when we come home at the end of a day say it's a difficult day and we come back home people get recharged and their soul gets recharged and their energy field gets recharged by the energies that are lodged in the house when there's a mutually supportive energy field. So it's like that third field is something that both people, I can almost imagine a diagram, two circles and a circle above, they're both feeding energetics into that third circle. And they can both draw on that when they feel a bit low, they feel a bit down, they feel a bit depressed, a bit isolated, whatever. They can draw on the power that's there. Um, they're able to do so as long as that it keeps being topped up. That's why it's so important to keep working at a relationship. If both, if one of the parties or both parties go, oh, it'll be all right. We don't, don't really need to be being so considerate, thinking about the other person so much. I'll just live in my own space. 
it gradually the amount of energy that's available is reduced. It's almost like drawing down on an energetic bank account. But when actions of deliberate care and consideration and thinking about what would the other person like that would help their life, um, regardless of me, what is it they're trying to do? And how can I help them get to what it is they're trying to do? This is where it goes way beyond the kind of flowers and chocolate scenario. You know, there's the conventional tributes that go backwards and forwards in a relationship. But something much more potent is you see the person is, let's say, trying to learn French. You find a way of arranging for them to have some kind of weekend immersion course in French. Or, or even if you've got the finances and resources, you say, I've, I've managed to get you a ticket to go to Paris for the weekend. I, whether or not I can go with you is a secondary thing. These are simply examples, but it's examples of a person who's thinking outside the box, how can I genuinely help the other person's life? And when two people start doing this for each other, it, it builds that supportive field. Um, and you can take it to the little things, like knowing the other person likes a certain brand of, of tea or coffee, and you see in the house that it's a little bit low, and you, you make a point of making sure there's some of that available that night. Um, these are all little small things. It's the little caring acts of kindness and consideration which keep that topped up in the field. So the power of love and care and consideration is deliberately, this is the thing, it's deliberately nurtured and fortified. Even though a person may not really feel like it because it's been a tough day, they, they just think, okay, what, um, how can I just do that extra little something? Now, it, it what, can be very small. Yeah. Now, in those instances, and because this comes up for when I speak with some of my clients, so I'm, I'm curious at your input here of how to shift the energy. If there's one person that is in a bad mood, say, for instance, they come home from the day, they're in a bad mood, the other person's in a positive mood, and sometimes the influence of the negative person can try to shift the energy of the positive and vice versa. So, or in some cases that the negative energy influences the other person to then become reactive. I know in the work that I do is really helping, helping people get underneath the anger to communicate what they're really feeling and what they really need and to be able to diffuse the situation. But in that particular moment, energetically, how might both people um, in this case, yep. the person that has the positive energy and the other person that is in a bad mood, how does that person not get influenced by the other person and stay in their own positive vibration since there is this interaction of influence that plays out very heavily in sure. those relationships? How do you maneuver through that? I recommend having a plan in advance. It's very hard to do in the moment. Like one person's coming in and you could literally see they're under a black cloud. You know, there's that expression, person's under a cloud. If you could see in the energy field, they've got a cloud system going on. The other person's feeling bright and sunny and happy. There's guaranteed to be an energetic exchange between them because the high, there's the high energy runs to low, low energy runs to high. They'll equal each other out over time. Um, but in that initial moment, that energetic difference between them can produce like the equivalent of lightning flashes going backwards and forwards know that it's going to happen, know that it's bound to happen. And the person who's feeling in that bad mood, who's had that difficult day, is able to say, it's been a difficult day. I just need to take 20 minutes. I'm going straight to the shower. I'm going to go and get myself cleaned up. And let's talk afterwards. Because 
for the bright one to be saying, oh, I just want to flood you with my positive energy is likely to produce a doubled down negative response. Because there's nothing can you get someone goes on to a subway train on a Monday morning and people are all getting ready for work and they're sort of a bit bleary. Someone con comes on there singing. It's a lovely day today. All 29 people look at him like or her like, why are you singing or that subdues the person. <laughs> so There's bound to be a transference. It's good to have techniques. And the best technique on that one is to know what energetically clears away a bad mood. And step one is running water. Go and take a shower. Get under the shower. Get it cleaned up. Um, be conscious of what you're bringing into the house. So if someone's feeling negative, and I've used this practice, you approach your front door. You go, oh, I don't want to bring this into the house. I'm going to walk around the block. Walk around the block. Oh, still feeling negative. I'm going to walk around the block again. And then you, you bring yourself into a state where you're conscious of what kind of energetics you're bringing into the home. Just as I recommend people take off their shoes before they come into the, into the home. Because they don't want to bring the frequency of the street straight in. It's not a matter of dirt and it's not a matter of, of um, what they're carrying from the street physically. Though there is that, of course. There's also what they're carrying energetically. So when you're coming into your home... When two people are making deliberately a home ecology that is mutually supportive, they become more aware of what kind of energy they're bringing to the home. So the person who's really feeling in that sort of bad temper, to have the awareness, it's like, oh, I'm in such a state today, I can't actually do anything about it. I can't just walk around the block and get rid of it. Uh, I've tried taking 10 minutes sitting, sitting, just waiting to lose it. It's not happening. I'm going straight to the shower. And then maybe we can talk this through. So the emphasis in that case is with the person who's conscious enough to know that they're carrying negative energy. Now, if they're not conscious enough of that, that's when there's a different kind of problem because the more level of conscious awareness a person can have of their energetic state, the more they can scientifically construct the kind of relationship field they want. And it may sound, and that might sound like a tall order, but it's no different than being conscious about the kind of physical food that we eat, the diet that we have. It's simply a matter of starting to register that through the trace of a day, a person goes through different energetic states and realizing that just like you don't want to bring a bag of coal dust through the door and just spill it around the house physically, you don't want to bring a bag of, of dark negative energy through the door and just liberally throw that around and, and tip it over the person that you're with, it's not going to produce a good result. So you may have it, it may not be your fault, you may just have had a really tough day at work and someone's been coming at you for no reason, but that's not a reason for contaminating the home environment. This is how I think about energetics, to be as conscious with energetics as a person would be, they're not just going to start throwing paint around the house on the walls, they're going to be conscious where they put it, how they use it. We are energetic beings. I think of human beings as two-thirds energetic and one-third physical. And one beautiful example, I actually got this. This is actually a practice which the, the Mayan people had in Mexico. I offer a, a retreat to, to Mexico every year. And something that I was shown was using a certain piece of obsidian. So this was a, a certain volcanic obsidian. And it was the, uh, the tour guide said, oh, I don't know if you're probably interested in this, but they used to use this thing energetically. So, of course, my ears perked up and I went over to find out what he was talking about. And I've got one, actually. I just picked it up right now. In my mm -hmm. hand, I'm holding a piece of black obsidian. What would happen is that if one of the partners came in to the, the, the hut 
um, in the relationship and was in a bad mood, they were not allowed to speak until they had held this certain kind of stone long enough for the stone to absorb the negative frequency. So they'd hold the stone for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and let the stone take away that energy before they would start to, to engage with their partner. That was very smart because the best way to deal with a situation that can actually ruin a whole evening is to work by prevention. And to prevent is literally to vent something in advance. It's why prevent. So get rid of it before it causes a blow up. And that's kind of the best way. Best way to handle an accident is don't have it in the first place. Best way to handle something that is of that kind of intensity of energetic difference between two people is to find ways to balance it, uh, which don't involve so much putting it straight and directly into the other person. So I hope that helps a little. It's where there's real techniques that can be used. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a similar stone that I, I keep in my office that absorbs the negative energy and clearing that out periodically just to be able to help people in that therapeutic process. So that's just something, a stone that I just keep in my office. But I think that incorporating that in the relationship dynamic is a, a very helpful one. And I think also mindfulness, being being presently aware non-judgmentally, being conscious and aware of the words that you use, how you interact uh, with your partner, being impeccable with your words, being intentional, being able to reflect as opposed to react allows there to be that preventative piece that doesn't create a lot of destruction because those words can't be taken away. It's better to be conscious and mindful than have to to clean up afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> Being really conscious is the key. And really knowing that the words that come out of your mouth are like a boomerang. They don't just affect the other person. They affect you. They affect the relationship. They affect the home. Being really intentional on what kind of energy am I wanting to bring into the relationship? What sort of seeds do I want to plant in this relationship that I'm going to be proud to harvest in the future. And I think when you have two people having that same mindset and that same intention, it can be a, a more fruitful relationship and experience. What are the three tests of time that affect all relationships? Hey, that's a good question. Mm. Um, yeah, I do. Again, this is, uh, this is something I've been exploring. It is to do with what I mentioned, that seven-year itch. I'll, I'll just go through it very briefly. The first one is 28 days. That's the first test of passion, which is two people go on a date. They might go on a second date. They kind of go, did you enjoy that? Mm, did you? Not really, not so much. Okay, and they kind of kick each other's tires and move on. 28 days is exactly the lunar cycle, and it is the length of the life of our skin cells. So if a relationship doesn't develop to be more than skin deep, it won't last more than 28 days. That's why if we want to establish anything at depth in our lives, we need to do it on a sustained basis for more than a 28-day period. It's why nearly all affirmations and tests and when teaching about the law of attraction, the, the number that's used the most is 30 days. That's because it goes right through the lunar cycle and out the other side. Um, so that's the first test of time, 28 days. The second one is 28 seasons. That's the planetary cycle. That's the seven-year itch. It's the number 28 again. 28 seasons make seven years. And in that time, we have replaced the cells in our heart, lungs, liver, kidneys. We've, we actually are a, are a different person, just as I said. You're no longer the woman that I married. You're no longer the man that I married. 
It's true. Every cell's been replaced. Um, so to actually have a relationship that lasts beyond the seven-year mark, it, it needs to start to develop something that goes well beyond physical attraction, goes beyond that automatic passion, that, that initial attraction that was there, and start building something that lasts for the long term. And the third test of time is 28 years. That's the Saturnian cycle. That's four sets of seven. I started noticing in my practice that I was dealing with the seven-year mark a lot. People saying their relationship was running into what appeared to be difficulties, though often difficulties also represent opportunities to move on. I, I was finding the same thing coming at the 28-year mark, which surprised me a little until I researched it and realized, of course, that's the Saturnian cycle. And any good astrologer will say, well, that's one of the most influential cycles there is. So 28 years is the, the next test. And that to us we only get to if we've built um, mutually agreed purposes. I call that the map, mutually agreed purpose, in which the two partners come together with something which they mutually agree is what they're setting about doing. That can include nurturing and raising children. It can include growing a business, it can include their religious life, it can include their spiritual life. They become beyond what I call partners in passion and actually move into being partners in purpose. Um, they, have, they share a spiritual journey together. They share something which they've established is their mutually agreed purpose in their life. And that can then go beyond the 28-year mark. And that's where you find couples who are together for 40 years, 50 years, because they're mutually supporting each other's lives on their journey of living while, while on planet Earth. They're mutually able to support each other's lives as they move toward the inevitable exit. That's the 28-year mark. And that is to do with the mutually agreed purpose. We're working more at mental level. So we go from the moon, which is the skin, skin cells, as I said, to planet, to then actually the level of what would be... Um, sort of imbued with higher energetic frequencies such as the sun and the stars. We get the idea of being a star or, or being a member of an all-star team. This is to do with energetic frequencies that can hold for a very long time. And so, uh, yeah. And so what, what is some advice that you could offer our listeners about improving the quality of their relationship? Oh, I think a key one is knowing how to handle conflict mm, and argument. Absolutely teaching people how to argue effectively. There's nothing wrong with having an argument. It degenerates only that the problem is when it degenerates into one person having a go at the other, when it goes into attack and defend patterns. But you always do this. There's certain keywords. So you always do this. You never do that. Mm, dangerous um, words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's um, well, I remember last week you did this. There's bringing, as you say, everything in the kitchen sink. There's bringing stuff that happened a year ago to hit the other person with. That's two people who start going into combat mode. They start to take up two polarities. One of them's kind of taken up the, you know, they, they become these polarized, like in a wrestling match. They say, we, in the red corner, we have this. In the blue corner, we have that. And then they start taking a position. Um, to argue effectively is always, what's the purpose of the argument? Because then it's always about that third thing. Instead of being about who's right or who's wrong, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. What matters is getting to the best result. Um, there's an argument, say, about finance. Um, then it isn't about, about who has the right to decide who spends the money. It's about what's the most effective way of putting this money to work to help our relationship and our mutual purpose. And then 
argue, I'd rather call it argue stretching instead of argument. They, they argue stretch it backwards and forwards, but always towards what's the best outcome for both. And that makes for a very effective arguing process because it's not personal. It doesn't come down to, well, you always said this and I never said that, and, but I never, I never used said that thing or whatever the personalized argument is. It's being able to cool it. Once it goes personal, it's moved into danger zone. Once it starts bringing up historical examples, it's about what's the purpose of the argument and being able to have codes in advance, like timeout. You know, one person puts up the little T, you know, the, the index finger and the finger across the top and says T, and there's a Greek code. Timeout means stop the argument for a few minutes because it's getting too, it's getting too attacking for one of the people to sustain, whether it be the man, the woman, or whatever the relationship is, you can take a timeout. I think that's very important. And I'd put one other with it, which is connected to an argument, which is learning how to energetically clean and clear the space in which you live. That would also be a very useful thing. I teach use, doing this using bells, for example. I've got a five-step clearing process in, in the Partners in Passion book because bells have been used for thousands of years to break up old energetic frequencies. So I always have one where I'm working. Even going to hotel rooms, I take a little bell with me and bell the room out. Because I don't want the frequencies of the people who were there the night before to be over-affecting me. When I'm going to sleep, I don't want to have their dreams. I want to have my dreams. So I break up the frequency in the room. If two people have a, a conflict in a room, then they leave and they go out and they have a nice talk and they're feeling better. And they come back into the same space. That argument is just waiting to drop on them unless they energetically clear the space. So the science, the energy science of relationships, really, to my mind, is at the forefront of relationship work in these times because we're moving into more energetically powered times. That's why there's so much upsurge in energy healing work, in Qigong, in Tai Chi. So many modalities are beginning working with human energetics because... They're more potent now than when I started doing this 30 years ago. I would spend a long time teaching someone how to see an energy field. Now it usually takes about five to 10 minutes. And I believe it's because the energies of the, the planet as we come into the age of Aquarius, they're getting more charged. So the energies in relationships are getting more charged. And people need to know how to handle, you could say bigger voltages and amperages in the energetic wiring of the relationship than existed even 10 years ago. Knowing how to energetically clean and clear a space is a really good skill to have. Absolutely. I think also timing. Sometimes one person may really need to talk, but it's not the right time for it to be the most effective outcome that both people can be purposeful in the conversation. So I, I think timing is also a key component. And I think also perhaps a, a common spiritual practice could be helpful, so you know, kundalini yoga or connecting with nature or, you know, even a prayer or meditation, just something that helps both people clear out their own energetic charges and clearing mm -hmm. that out. Having some sort of practice where where that process takes place individually and then potentially also sharing that experience with one another can can create that that mood and that vibration in the relationship that can really be helpful. Yes. And I think also just like we take out the trash sometimes those those arguments that are unresolved especially if they keep coming back into 
present day conversations, it means that something hasn't fully been cleared, something fully hasn't been addressed in that conversation. And they both need to basically unpack that in a calm fashion to really just fully address that. The past doesn't keep interfering in the present because that that's also something really important to be able to clear out the past in a way that it's healed and complete so that both people can really be in the present moment together and move forward in the now. I think that that's really key as well. Absolutely. I would be on the same page with you on that for sure, Andrea. Great. Wonderful. Any final comments that you'd like to make or any resources you'd like to share with our listeners today? Okay. Well, I think the the last thing would be the more conscious we can be of the energetics that play in our relationships and the better chance we have of success. I would close with that idea that becoming increasingly conscious, you were into it right there, Andrea, with that feature of conscious of our individual energetics. It starts there. The first relationship we have is with ourselves. And then it moves into the relationship with other people to actually have that growing consciousness of energetics. That's why I wrote the book Partners in Passion. It's about the energies in relationships. And if any of your listeners would like to purchase a copy of that, which goes in depth into what we've been speaking about today, and they can go to my website, which is energyworlds.com. That's with an S, energyworlds.com. And they can purchase a copy there. It's not available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and these places because I chose not to. So it's available on the website, energyworlds.com. Um, they can also subscribe to the newsletter there. And if they go to Facebook, they can join the Energy Worlds group. And there's also an Energy Worlds business page. So they're very welcome to sign up there and learn more about what I do. And that would be great. And uh, they'll find that the Partners in Passion book is 280 pages packed with information about this very feature of becoming increasingly conscious in the realms of the energetics of relationships and one's own individual energy field and life also. So I, I hope that um, those that do purchase that will find that useful. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David, for coming on today's show. Thank you, Andrea. I really enjoyed talking with you and uh, I enjoyed the show very much. So thank you. Wonderful. Excellent. So there you have it. I hope you found this podcast as interesting and as, as an informative as I have. And to get access to the show notes and links mentioned on the show, you can head over to truepotentialcounseling.com. If you like this podcast, if you could please leave a review so we can have more impact and reach more people. We have some exciting things coming up here at True Potential Counseling. If you would like to get free access to my three-part video series so you too can create a relationship and life you love, head on over to createarelationshipyoulove.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next time next week on Relationship Lovecast. Thanks for listening to Lovecast by True Potential at www.truepotentialcounseling.com. 